Welcome to Concordia Journal Currents. I'm Eric Herman, Assistant Professor of Historical Theology, and today we are uh, speaking with uh, Professor Robert Kolb, uh, Professor Emeritus of Concordia Seminary. Professor Kolb is um, one of the most prolific and uh, well-respected Reformation and Luther scholars today. So it's a real privilege to be able to speak to you, and actually the occasion is yet another book uh, that you've written that we want to talk about. Um, before we talk about this specific book, I wanted to ask, I've noticed in your, in your writings and uh, in your books and articles that most of your emphasis in your career has been on late Reformation, Luther's students and how Luther's uh, thought and theology relates to what they've done in the late 16th century, early 17th. Lately, you've written quite a few books on, on Luther's theology, um, uh, looking at him specifically as, as an object in its own right. Um, maybe, maybe you can explain a little bit or reflect a little bit on that shift, if that really is a shift, uh, and kind of how you're thinking about it. Well, it is. Um, I still do quite a bit of work on the background of the formula of Concord. Um, but I, two, two reasons occur to me. Um, one is kind of bad news for us. Uh, there aren't many people doing Luther right now. Um, you, you are a good example of how we've almost skipped a generation um, and, and are, uh, you're, you're obviously among the most promising uh, Luther scholars in this, in this country. But, uh, and even in Europe, there, um, there has been a decline in the number of people doing Luther. And so when uh, various editors uh, have had need, they've asked me to jump in. Um, the other thing is that uh, as Chuck Arendt, our colleague, and, and I were writing The Genius of Luther's Theology, we had originally uh, conceived of a book a little broader, and Baker Academic, our, our publisher, uh, said Lutheranism isn't of much uh, interest people outside Lutheranism, but Luther is. Luther has a broad appeal, and, and Chuck and I felt that um, uh, in our church body we've done too little over the years to exercise our ecumenical responsibility, and we think L Luther's message is a message for the 21st century, and uh, so we were glad to focus on him and, and to give the, the power of uh, the Lutheran tradition, the power of our understanding um, to prepare it for a wider audience. Sure, sure. Well, and I think uh, what we see here is a similar thing in this book. This is also published by Baker Academic mm -hmm. Press. It'll mm -hmm. come out uh, this spring, is that right? In March. In March. Mm -hmm. uh, and the title is Luther and the Stories of God, Biblical Narratives as a Foundation for Christian Living. My first question is actually on, on the title, Stories uh, and Narrative. Uh, as you know, I have uh, five young children, and I spend most of my evenings uh, reading stories to them. Um, usually Grimm's fairy tales or something. I, I suspect we're talking about stories and narratives in a broader sense uh, beyond just fiction. In fact, uh, today it's a very popular term to talk about story and narrative, even in philosophy and theology. Mm -hmm. uh, could you speak to that a little bit and maybe how Luther fits into this? Well, that, that got me into it. I'm a, I, I'm a church historian, but I'm a kind of doctrine man, and, and when I look at my uh, sermons from the first 25 years of my preaching, they were all on the epistle lessons and were all just, it, this is the catechetical uh, truth. And um, then it occurred to me as I was reading Luther that he does an awful lot with stories. Um, a few stories from his own experience. Uh, there are 
more of those in his table talk, but in his lectures and in his sermons, in his public utterance, he uh, mainly retold Bible stories. And uh, yeah, also with a little fiction mixed in. He uh, tells us what Sarah and Abraham were thinking at, at critical junctures, uh, what Zacchaeus was thinking as, as uh, Jesus was coming down the street. Uh, those kinds of examples, um, getting us in, inside Jonah's head uh, and the like in his various situations, uh, make for an interesting way of conveying um, both God's, God's good news in Jesus Christ uh, and, and the faith that Abraham had, that the New Testament believers had as they, they came to encounter Jesus. Um, but then he also did a lot uh, with stories that model both negatively and positively the Christian life. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I took that as the focus for this book. So I've got some things on how Luther as a literary uh, figure uh, uh, used narrative, and I tried to use a little bit of, of modern narrative theory to interpret him. Uh, but then I concentrated on those stories that, that model both faith and uh, the life of obedience. So uh, when you're talking about him telling stories and biblical stories, it's, it's actually his retelling of those stories yes. in a creative and dynamic way for a, for a particular purpose. You said Christian life. What kind of stories does he focus on especially for uh, teaching the Christian life? Well, what we have from him uh, are both sermons uh, from the 1520s and lectures from 1535 to 1545 on Genesis. And so there's a rich amount of this sort of thing uh, where, where we have the lives of the patriarchs, uh, sort of the daily lives of the patriarchs depicted. And then in the Gospels. Mm. And we always think of Luther as a, as a Pauline theologian, uh, but his preaching was to a large extent on the Synoptic Gospels because they were the pericopes. And so in his, his sermon books, his postals, he retells some of those stories too shouldn't overestimate the percentage of his preaching or his lecturing that was in storytelling. It was a s relatively smaller percentage. Um, but, but what he does there is to cultivate uh, uh, the Christian life by talking about how the biblical figures lived the life of obedience to God. Mm. That reminds me, uh, quite a while ago, Heinrich Bornkamp wrote his book, Luther in the Old Testament, mm -hmm. and he talks about uh, his view of the Old Testament and the figures as a mirror of, of yeah. life. Yeah. I, I suspect that's, do you find that as, as, as true? It holds true in the way you've looked at it? Is that kind yeah. of a way to look? Is it prescriptive? Is it descriptive of Christian life? Both. Um, uh, sometimes it's prescriptive, but he also is very sensitive to the fact that, uh, as other authors have pointed out, uh, ethical insights in Scripture are sometimes a little bit ambiguous. You don't know whether this is a special case, and so Luther warns against uh, taking a, an example uh, of action by a biblical figure and making that prescriptive for us today. Uh, and uh, then he also, much more freely than most biblical commentators, just looks at the sins and the faults and the flaws of, of Abraham and, and Joseph and, and talks about them uh, you know, in a manner that discourages such practices. Uh, and so, uh, so you, you've got a, a mixture of both. 
and he, he tells the stories, but he always does a little catechetization, either before or after or both, so that his point is clear. He, he doesn't let the story, normally he doesn't let the story just ride uh, uh, itself there. Right. Uh, not total reader response. Right. right, yeah. So is, is Luther typical of this handling of scripture and this teaching of Christian life through narrative? Is he, is he unique, or how does he relate to, like, say, his contemporaries or even his predecessors? There, there are, of course, as you know better than I, um, there are uh, precedents for this. Uh, for one thing, there, were, there was a lot of preaching on saint stories uh, from the golden legend of, of the saints, not, not from the Bible, but, but also these biblical figures. Those stories were retold and, and, and learned in cate the catechetical preaching of the time. And it's interesting in his, um, in his students, as you, as you mentioned, where I've worked a little bit more. Um, I just finished a study on Paul Eber's preaching. He was a professor later in the 16th century, a student of Luther's. He doesn't use storytelling and story retelling much at all mm. in his sermons, uh, published sermons at least. Whereas someone like Johannes Matesius, whose, whose postels were much, much more popular, sold, I don't remember how many editions, maybe 20 or 30 right. in the 16th century, in, in the 35 years after they were published. Um, Matesius really captured the art from Luther, and, and so this, the stories roll off his tongue too. Oh, very good. So this is, in terms of his, um, what he's passed on to his students in the next generation, it depends, but we do have people kind of catching that spirit and using stories in, in an instruction sort of way. It's kind of like using our students as a mirror of what we teach. <laughs> yes. Um, well, now, Luther doesn't use just uh, preaching and stories for instruction in Christian life. I, I'm thinking especially of his catechisms, mm -hmm. his catechetical sermons, his hymn writing he all sees along those lines. Um, how do you see those relating to those other forms of instruction that Luther performed and engaged in? He was in his own way without the benefit of, of our modern theories of communication. He was very sensitive to how communication uh, Work. The, the recent article in the uh, British periodical, The, the Economist, uh, how Luther went viral. Oh, the social, yeah, yeah social network. How, how Luther anticipated social media. It wasn't that he sort of invented spreading his message. Uh, the printers did that. Uh, they saw a commercial uh, possibility when they, uh, when they sensed one. Um, but he, he very quickly learned how to capitalize on it. And so I, I think he's really a good illustration of a public figure who, who takes a number of genres, a number of, of ways of approaching and getting his ideas across, and coordinates them. Mm. And so his preaching and the publication of his sermons were uh, both as an oral event and as a, as a written encounter with people, very important, uh, alongside uh, his catechesis um, and, and other uh, devotional writings, polemical writings, and the like. And so you've got within the preaching a number of ways of communicating, and stories are an important, though maybe not the predominant, uh, way in which he did that. Would you see Luther as a model for us today, in this regard, especially with instruction and preaching? Well, I, I read a long time ago that um, males in North America uh, are, have difficulty with abstract thinking, and so they need the examples depicted to them. And so, yeah, I, 
I think that there are dangers in relying too much on, on narrative and story in our preaching. Uh, but I've noticed that as I've become more in contact, I think, with a congregation, the, the stories come more, more easily. Mm. And I notice in my teaching um, that, that the, the case studies, so to speak, the little experiences, uh, are what grab students very often and, and really get the ideas across. So I think, yeah, I, I hope uh, that parish pastors uh, can profit a great deal from, from looking at Luther. He did it in a 16th century context, and our context is different. But I think there, there are lots of things we can learn in this regard, too. Yeah. Well, before we close here, maybe just give us a tidbit. What's your, what's your favorite example of his use of story that you wrote on? Ah, that, that's difficult. There are so many. Um, when he's talking about Abraham's conversations with God and, and trying to cultivate faith, um, in, in uh, 1531, he said, wow, what's the Reformation done? It has resulted uh, in the fact that people um, believe better, pray better, uh, simply live better, uh, suffer better, and die better. And I've taken those five, not in, in, in that order, uh, as the kind of chapters of the stories. And, and uh, one of the longer of those is this uh, chapter on, on the cultivation of trust in, in, in God, in Christ. And, and so as he's, as he's depicting Abraham in the midst of, of all sorts of problems, uh, and, and the chief problem was that there was no son there was no bearer of the promise. It seemed as though God had set him up, uh, made him travel all this way. He wasn't getting the land. He was still on the move. And there was, n there was no Isaac. And, and as he, he shows Abraham's struggles of faith, I can well imagine that, that the, the citizens of Wittenberg, as they sat in the pew, uh, the students who had come from all kinds of backgrounds, said, oh, yeah, I know exactly what it, what it means. Yeah. Ah, very good, very good. Well, thank you for being with us. We look forward to the uh, publication of this book, uh, and I'll be on my reading list, uh, top of the list. Uh, but thanks for spending the time with us. Thank you. And thank you for joining us. Uh, that's uh, the time we have for today. Uh, come back next time. <laughs>